Welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast, featuring compelling interviews with big-hearted people in the Oklahoma City metro area who are leading, creating, and innovating on purpose. Get inspired by conversations with passionate difference makers from our local community. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. On today's episode, we sit down with Alton Carter, an author, motivational speaker, and inspiring champion for change for anyone facing life's inevitable challenges and opportunities. And now, the Live Your Purpose podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Live Your Purpose podcast. I'm here today with Alton Carter, who is a Stillwater-based author and a former foster child and police officer. He was the first person in his family to graduate from high school and college. Now the director of youth ministries for the First United Methodist Church of Stillwater, Oklahoma, the Oklahoma State University alum has dedicated his life to working with young people, becoming an author and a foster parent himself in the process. In April of 2015, his debut book, The Boy Who Carried Bricks, was published by the Roadrunner Press. The book is a true recount of Carter's hardscrabble life growing up in small towns in Oklahoma. He has gone on to author two picture books and two more juvenile nonfiction titles, including Aging Out in 2016 and The Boy Who Survived in 2019. Alton, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's really good to have you on. You know, we've met each other virtually and now in person uh, through the Oklahoma Writers Conference, which at the time of this interview was pretty recently, a couple of weeks ago or something like that. Yeah, I don't know if you can you really say you met somebody if it's virtual, but I don't know. Close enough. It's kind of weird. You know, it's just one of those things that people say, but I don't know it's true either. You know, there's that disconnect with the virtual divide. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. Now I feel like I know you a little bit because we've actually met in person. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's it's a blessing to have you in my office and uh been looking forward to this conversation really since at the writers conference I heard your keynote address and my good friend and colleague Dr. Lisa Murata who we co-presented a couple of sessions on that conference as well. But she said, you're going to want to hear this guy. And I was already planning to listen in. But when she told me a little bit about you, I said, oh, yeah. So we were both there. And I, I, like many others, I was captivated and, and, uh, and saw your humanity as well and just wanted to get to know you. So here we are. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Alton, as you may know, we start each episode with a kickoff question. And you've chosen yours. So I'll send that your way, and we'll just see where the conversation takes us. Let's, let's do it. Okay, Alton. <laughs> so what are the struggles and triumphs that have most shaped your life? Uh, struggles, I'd say um, just probably dealing with the past uh, seems to pop up. I know that sounds kind of crazy that the past pops up in the in the present, but there's a lot of things that happen that remind me of my childhood or that kind of want to make me question who I am. Um, And so just trying to figure out how to navigate through those things without either self-destructing or setting yourself back are probably um, some of my biggest struggles. And so uh, I'm my own worst enemy, and that's that's part of it. I get inside of my head sometimes. So just trying to keep a clear head and and, uh, navigate through those things is probably my biggest struggle. And what was the other... Yeah, so the okay. struggle, it's like the, the bookend. So there's okay. the, the, the struggles and then the triumph. Oh. So those wins, those moments of success, yeah. as you define them. So being able to talk and travel and talk to kids and see, like, just across the world how many people that are broken. Um, 
some of the greatest triumphs is, is seeing hope in people's eyes, like having a conversation with somebody that they almost lead you to believe that they've given up on themselves. And so just sharing, you know, my shortcomings and my desire to keep going, that's probably a real blessing to see people like that fire light back up that they can, they can go on. So just being able to share a part of myself with so many people that feel hopeless is probably some of the greatest things that I get to experience. Yeah, that's huge. And, and as we're getting to know one another, most of my listeners know this about me, but my history is in uh, addiction, recovery. I've got a suicide attempt in my past, some violence, and a lot of self-destruction and being my own worst enemy. So I can relate mm-hmm. on a direct level through that shared human experience. Uh, many of our listeners, however, probably don't know who you are and what some of your background is. And I know you share your story all the time. And so those that are listening in, you can click down on the show notes and, and find some links to Alton's uh, website, etc. But in, in defining who you are and maybe some of the things that you've been through as a younger person, would you just share some of that with our listeners so they can get to know you? So my, my childhood past um, literally was uh, defined by just drugs and violence in my family and watching my mother choose one bad man right after another. Um, and I kind of grew up questioning everything about myself, whether I was worth the trouble. Um, I grew up thinking I was dumb. And so being shuffled through 17 foster homes, three institutions, and a boys' ranch, man, along the way, you encounter some great people. And the hard part is I never realized like what an impact those people had on my life until like I was older. And so uh, just lots of self-doubt. I got to, I didn't really mess around with drugs and alcohol um, per se, but uh, I was probably as addicted to self-destruction as any human being could see. I mean, I self-sabotaged relationships, friendships, uh, jobs, just because I doubted everything about myself. And so through the course of, you know, having some great encounters with some amazing people, who that's what I talk about when it comes to faith, that I've really felt like I lost sight of that faith side or that faith in God, and it was people who brought me back. So just connecting with some amazing people, man, made me feel like I was on top of the world, and that's kind of what helped me, you know, keep going and fighting those things that pop up in my life that that kind of make you want to give up, so... Yeah, you know, and <clears throat> the, the theme of this podcast is living out your purpose and finding that meaning. And hope is a big pillar or a big component of purpose. And very often those influences in our life, influencers in our life, the mm-hmm. individuals that God sends our way or that come along to us, that are sent to us as messengers very often, in my own belief. Um, what what are one or two or a couple of those individuals that really impacted you and maybe uh, shaped or redirected your life? Man, it's hard to list. Yeah. But, you know, my grandfather, without a doubt, he was a man that was born in 1913 or 1916, I think. And he just, he grew up in a rough time. And he refused, he, he just, he never fought negativity with negativity. My grandfather always took the high ground, no matter what, whether it be racism, whether it be job, his goal was to prove to people that he was different. Um, 
not so much a doormat, but he, he wanted people to see that you could do anything you wanted to. So my grandfather, um, I had a fourth grade teacher, my goodness, my wife and kids have been probably the biggest impact. Uh, my two boys being able to watch them be born is hands down one of the greatest experiences of my life. And, uh, uh, and then adopting three kids. So <clears throat> that's kind of really shaped me and man, just given me hope, uh, and life really. So, yeah. Yeah. And what is it about the, the, the father role, the heaven, the adopted father role, um, having the children in your life and that gives you hope. What is it that brings hope and meaning into your life about, about that role and those individuals themselves? Well, well it, it's all about a second, not when I say a second chance, I think that, that phrase in itself is almost misleading because mm. it's almost like to a child, like my kids had been through several failed adoptions. Yeah. And so when you say second chance, there's almost this window that you could blow that and that second chance is gone. But providing like a home for these kids, knowing that they're not going anywhere else. And, you know, my background and my education um, or experiences in terms of dealing with foster kids is different, not better, but I lived that life. And so, my goodness, I'm full of mistakes. But watching my kids four years later still wonder if they're going to be sent back has been tough. Um, and, you know, having them but like watch them believe that they're not good enough is tough. And so that's what we want them to understand. Um, our kids is that this is it. I mean, there's, it's not a second chance. This is, this is it. So you'll always be ours. Um, but it's, it's taught me more about myself than I ever thought. Uh, interesting enough. So one of my abusers was my mother. Um, and, all of a sudden, two years after you adopt a child, you look up and you realize that that child looks more like your mother than you could ever imagine. So that kind of threw me for a loop, but I never expected any of those things. So my oldest daughter has really taught me the true, um, like what it really means to forgive people. So it's it's just been a ride. <laughs> yeah, it I'll has. I'll never forget. So. Right, it has. And I can tell as you, as you hit some of these high points in some of these different areas, you know, in response to what I was asking, you know, what, what gives you hope, what gives you meaning, and, and teasing some of this out. There's a lot there. And you ended somewhere on forgiveness yeah. in this last point. So if you'd like to go there, I mean, what is forgiveness to you? And then I guess what have your children taught you about forgiveness? Mm-hmm. So forgiveness, um, 17 foster homes, been to a lot of churches. And I listen to preachers and, and people talk about forgiveness, which I believe it's one of the most important things a human being could ever do. But I never really understood it. And so, like, I, I physically told my mother before she passed away that I forgave her. And then after my mom passed away, I realized... Like, I was madder than I'd ever been my whole entire life, and it was because my mom was gone. And so for, you know, all those years, I'd been angry at my mom, and now she's gone, and I don't know what to do with this anger. And that's when I realized that I just did nothing but lip service. Like, all I did was say I forgave my mom, and I didn't. So I made a list of everything that I could think of that my mom, like, that hurt me. And I wrote it down and I committed. I was like, I'm going to forgive my mom. And so 200 things on that list. And then probably 
gosh, three years later, that list is down to five or six. And for me, it's this idea that now, like those 200 things I thought of before made me upset, they're gone. I mean, I, I don't get upset when I think about those things. Um, so to me, that's what forgiveness looks like. It's like seeing a person and not being miserable uh, and finding joy and happiness and me being able to breathe. And so forgiveness, and you've probably heard this, is not about mending a relationship. It's about letting go of your own throat. And so I learned that firsthand because I told my mom, hey, I forgive you. And she goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, I held on to this stuff all these years and you forgot about it. I was choking myself. So that that's the hard way of <laughs> how I learned what true forgiveness is. Yeah, that's wonderfully described. And, you know, th those of us that have been through a journey of forgiveness, and I'm sure many of our listeners have, or maybe they're in the middle of one, or they haven't forgiven because they're hearing you and they're like, wait a minute, maybe I've got some more work to do. Um, what was it for you that that sort of pressed you pushed you, invited you in to a deeper process of forgiveness. I know you mentioned uh, the, the interaction with your mom. Yeah. You know, was that it, or was there something else? What pulled you towards there, a deeper th forgiveness? There were several, and part of it is recognizing that my lack of forgiveness from my mother um, essentially just loaded me up to give those same issues to my kids. Mm, okay. And so I may repackage those. So, I, you know, I didn't beat my kids. My mom beat me. I didn't, so I didn't beat my kids, but that sort of lack of forgiveness or uh, resentment would be packaged and I'd give it to my kids for something, you know, wrapped in something else. So that was ultimately like, I just had this good look at how am I, how am I treating my family? You know, I never thought about like when my mom comes over, I get all anxious and anxiety and then I take that out on my family. And so that was ultimately kind of the goal that led me to really want to get rid of it all. And it's not that my mother deserved it. She didn't, when I say she didn't deserve forgiveness, it's not about what she deserves. I deserve to be at peace. And that was the, uh, just got tired of carrying that stuff around being miserable. Yeah. You know what? And so, and so did I in my own journey, in my own journey. So a lot of what I learned about forgiveness came through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and some in church, you mm -hmm. know, but it was really, I, I had methods in the 12 steps. You know, you take personal inventory of your resentments, of your offenses, of the, the ways that you've harmed others, of your desires and your wants that are just out of control, all these things that have caused behavior in you that are blocking you. So in myself, uh, guilt, shame, anger, violence, you mm -hmm. know, resentment, all these things are actually blocking me from making progress. And, uh, and then by the time you work your way through the steps, you tell somebody about it. And the next step, you ask God, your higher yeah. power, for a little help. Help me learn how to let go of this. Help me keep what I need to keep. Let go of what I don't need. And then make a list of all mm -hmm. the people that I've harmed. And then start making amends. Mm -hmm. So, you know, about a year into it, eight months into it, I started making amends to my wife. Started looking at my daughters like yourself and thinking, wait a minute, these patterns, these patterns, these ways that I'm treating, this isn't the me that I know myself to be or the me that I think I can become. Mm -hmm. And so I started seeing that evidence. So I had, I had some self-awareness. I had some insight. And I'm like, God, God mm -hmm. wants me to learn how to let go of this, you mm -hmm. know, so that I can become all that I can be. So that's what I'm hearing, that similar journey towards forgiveness. And as you mentioned, I hadn't heard that before. Forgiveness is like um, 
what did you call it's it? It's not about mending a relationship. Yeah. It's about letting go of your own throat. Letting go of your own <clears> throat. <throat> I love that. I've heard a quote. There's a, a quote from, I'm not going to remember the name. If I do, I'll put it in the show notes. But uh, it goes something like, uh, forgiveness means giving up hope for a better past. Mm. Giving up hope for a better past past. So it's about coming to the present. It's about moving forward mm -hmm. for the individual. So I, I don't know. Any other thoughts coming up on forgiveness as I've been talking? Oh, man, I could I could talk about forgiveness yeah. uh, all day long. And, and it's never, never too hard to, or I had a guy told me one time that the mind was the most powerful thing in the entire world. And, I, you know, I, I believe God used this guy to kind of talked to me, but he said he was on, he was addicted to heroin for 21 years and he just quit cold turkey, no rehab, nothing. Wow. And I was like, man, you're a Superman. He was like, Alton, we, God gave us the most powerful thing in the world. You can do anything you want to do if you believe it. And he wasn't talking about, you know, buying a new car, or, you know, building a house. He was talking about healing yourself, like making things right within yourself. And so listening to him say that, man, it just made me just like want to just go even harder uh, to, to fix some of the things about myself that were broken. But through this forgiveness, sometimes you realize that like the hardest thing you have to forgive is the person looking at you in the mirror. And most of what I had to forgive really wasn't even my fault. Like I had attached the bad things that people had done to me to myself. And I struggled forgiving myself when a lot of that stuff as a kid was out of my control. And so that pattern set up for this lifetime of not being able to forgive myself. I don't know if that made sense or not, but so that's what I struggled with is seeing, seeing that I was worth forgiving. Oh, yeah. You know, to me, it does make sense. Some of our listeners may be lost in some of this, but yeah. I'm telling you, it's deep. You know, and what you're yeah. talking about, you're really talking about at a deep, like granular or specific level where that forgiveness happens, where your identity is and, and the stuff that happens to us, when, especially when we're younger. But it can be any age in life. But oh, when yeah. we're young, our identity is wrapped up in, in adults. You know, it tends to be. So mm -hmm. we can't always separate that out. And as we get older... That goes along with us. And we don't always know who we are and what's ours and what's somebody else's. Mm -hmm. And I've gone through a lot of that mm -hmm. inner work myself. And, and I'll tell you, one of, the, one of the most beautiful things about the inner work of forgiveness, because I think that's where we rest, mm -hmm. and here's that inner work, is that what comes out as a result you know, of, of that process of forgiveness, what comes out into the world is so, so different than I ever knew was possible until it starts to happen, until, until that process of forgiveness and letting go happens. Mm -hmm. And I'm released of that stranglehold, oh. you know? So what are some of the gifts um, that have come to your life in this new way of living, not just through forgiveness, but just through what you've learned about yourself and all the talks that you give, by the way, for those that don't know, you're all over the country, all over the state, giving talks all the time. What, what, what have you learned about yourself through, the, through this process? That... Well, you mentioned purpose a while ago. Yeah. How that's constantly changing. Mm -hmm. I may have the same job um, or, you know, change jobs, but overall my purpose um, is the same. And it, so I'm switching jobs from youth director to taking a job at Meridian Technology starting Monday. And what's, what's interesting is, like, I started questioning myself about my purpose, and, and it's the same, that 
my goal for me, I believe God wants me to make sure that I do everything I can to leave people better off than they were when I met them. And when I say not that they're broken, but like if I encounter somebody that looks miserable, if I can do nothing but make them smile, that those are the things that I'm talking about. It's not about performing open heart surgery or, you know, buying somebody a new car all the time. It's about making people feel like that they're important or that they matter and giving them something to smile for. Um, so th that's, that's what's like my purpose is constantly changing um, in the, you encounter people every day. And then also, uh, because of who I am, you know, sometimes when you're a fixer, you forget to, to take care of yourself or not when I say fixer, somebody that you invest in trying to do that, it's tough. But every once in a while, you run into people where I was talking at an assembly and I had this, I think he was a fourth grade boy, essentially, came up to me in front of the stage, uh, talk about the biggest fear ever, fourth or fifth grader of snatching the microphone out of my hand and telling me that uh, basically he said, Alton, I know you said you did, you never got to meet your dad, but I, I want you to know that he missed out. And so you put yourself in a position like to make a difference in people's lives. And all of a sudden people do, they pour back into you in some of the ways you'll, you can never imagine. So th those are, those are awesome. They, they help. Oh man, I'm, I've got shivers over here you, <laughs> of all the right kind, you know? Yeah. And so, because I feel that. And, and so I'm just picturing, so let me just ask you, you know, was it the, was this the end of the assembly? Your end of the talk that this fourth grader come up? Like, what happened? How did you get through that? What did you do next? So it's so it, powerful. The the principal they decided that like an auditorium full of kids. Yeah. And the principal decided it'd be a good idea to let the kids ask questions. Well, oh. he had a microphone, and he was over on this side of the room, and he you know kids would raise their hand, and he'd walk. Well, I guess this kid over here got tired of waiting. So he got up and came down and yeah. snatched a microphone out of my hand and put his hand on my shoulder. Oh. And so you you look at this kid and like it it took like for for 15 minutes here's what I thought that kid's exactly right. Mm -hmm. I never got to meet my dad, but he'd be proud of me. Mm -hmm. Like if if my dad knew and so that's what I try to do is take moments like that and re literally reshape them so I'm not bitter. Yeah, my dad missed out, and then not repeat the same thing that happened to me. And I see a lot of people repeat, like they pack up that pain and give it to somebody else. And so that kid helped me be a better me uh, that day. Yes. You know, Father Greg Boyle uh, with Homeboy Industries out in California, um, I may botch this quote, but it's something like, if you don't transform your pain, you transmit mm -hmm. your pain. And so until we actually come to terms, if I, till I come to terms with my own pain, uh, I've learned the same lesson that you're describing to me right now, you know, in my own context, in my own life, exact same mm -hmm. dynamic. Until I learn to transform the pain, that means to look at it and to learn from it, ask it questions. What is this? Where did this come from? Why is it here? What does it have to teach me? How is it hurting me? <laughs> you know what I mean? All those questions. That's the hard part. That's why people don't wrestle with their pain. It's hard work. Mm -hmm. But we're sitting here. I'm hearing on the other end of this conversation right now. These are the results. These are the fruits that come through that kind of pain. Um, when I think about the word sacrificial life, you know, this is, you know, this type of sacrificial life to a higher power, to God, as I understand God also. 
You know, life in Christ is so much better because it's a renewed one. Get to be a much better version of, of ourselves this way. And, and whatever, whatever your religion is out there, whatever your spiritual path, that's great. But, you know, that's how I understand it. And um, it's redeemed life. Um, so I'm just inspired. Let me, let me ask you this, Alton. Uh, you give a lot of talks. You talk to a lot of groups. Again, some of our listeners may not understand. W- where are you pouring out and what types of groups are you, are you reaching into, especially those that may be on the margins or, or, you know, just trying to stay here on the planet, in society, or near it? Uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that I, I'm willing to talk to anybody. There's no... Um, I don't believe in, I say, target audience when it comes to maybe something that I'm trying to share because I want, if you don't know what it's like to be abused, maybe you hear something that I have to say and it gives you a little bit of compassion for somebody that has or understanding. And so, man, I, I mean, I get to talk to groups like I was in South Dakota, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, talking to dental hygienists um, about trauma and about my life and how, man, like somebody just telling you that it's going to be okay will will shape your day because you feel like you have have value. So I, I would love to think that my talks are motivated to help common people believe that they have the power to be heroes and change people's lives. But you have to believe it. And that's not arrogance. I mean, if you get up every day and you know you're making a difference in people's lives, it just gives you the energy and power versus, well, I think I am. And so I believe that I'm making a difference in people's lives, even if it isn't for a split second. And ultimately, so they can decide uh, what they want to do with it. So that, that's, that's my motivation is just to impact people, to not get up on a soapbox. So we had this talk about race with my neighbors the other day. And, well, how do you feel about this? And my perspective is that, I think if I get up in in front of a group of people and I talk about race, it's not a racially charged speech. My my position is to get you to, if let's say you hate black people, you get to know me. And after that conversation, I believe that you will like me and that's where it starts. I don't want to change your opinion about a whole race, but maybe you can start with Alton. And that, that, so that's my position on uh, some of those, you know, some of those type of issues when I when I speak about them. So, yeah, no, that's powerful. You know, so those that know me well, they're li- they're listening and they're like, hey, that's like you, Charles. Yeah, it is. That's a whole lot like me because the way that I frame it is that I look for what's common in our humanity. You know, I really do. And coming through, especially some forgiveness, some internal forgiveness, that mm. internal process that happens, it really sets you free. And my perspective is so much broader and deeper. I still have opinions on race, and I believe we have a lot of progress to make, and there's a lot of things that we haven't answered for. And I'm speaking as a white person of privilege and all those terms. Mm -hmm. And I also believe that we have shared humanity. At the same time, you can have both perspectives at the same time. And so uh, as I meet individuals from other cultures and other races, I'm always looking for what do we share? How can I connect with this person? And, and if they don't want to connect, how can I at least be who I am, mm-hmm. you know, without backing down? Or if I need to go away, then I need to go away. You right. know, sometimes you got to say you got to protect yourself and do what's right and safe. But otherwise, I'm ready to engage. I'm ready to have the conversation because it's not really until we have dialogue that isn't so 
contentious or hate-filled or, okay, yeah, we all have biases. We all have judgment. There's racism. Absolutely. Now what? You know, what's the deeper conversation? How does change actually happen? And it happens one-on-one, you know, having honest conversations. That's, that's the place to start, in my own opinion. So thank you for going there. Yeah. You, you talked about privilege. And I've, yeah. I've wrestled with that word. Yeah. Like, and I'm not sure I understand what it means. Because mm-hmm. to me, I'm privileged. I mean, even coming where I came from. And so, like, in this realm of not having to start like maybe I start 10 feet, you know, that whole scenario where I'm 10 feet behind somebody else in a race. That's, that's what I've always, that's what I've known as a kid. But now as an adult, I mean, you can go in Stillwater and not very many people that they don't know me. Mm-hmm. And that's not because I'm some, you know, famous person or somebody that, you know, lives in a house on top of the hill that you can point at. It's because I'd like to think that I've invested in a community um, in hopes of creating like just this idea of when you say privilege, the privilege to me, the greatest example of privilege is to be loved. It's mm-hmm. not to be in front or behind or, you know, some people have it easier. Some people grow up in homes where they got two parents and they can, you know, go to college and some of us don't. But the privilege to me, like when people say privilege to me, I, I'm privileged. Like, I feel like if anybody has a right to feel lucky and privileged, man, I had more love handed to me than uh, I feel like, you know, that I could ever uh, account for. So. Absolutely. I love, I love that too, you know? And, and when I hear the word privilege as as I'm using it in that context, it's more like the social, like, like what's going on in the media and, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging that, that's out there. And some of the folks that I know in the field that work in that area, you know, one way that it's taken, and I ascribe to some of this definition, is you have, you have more advantage in one area or yeah. another. So in Oklahoma, for example, you know, uh, being Christian can be seen as a privilege right. in that context. You have an advantage, you right. know. But, but, you know, the way that I hear it coming from you right now, it's, it's more foundational. You know, uh, it's empowering. You know, the, the idea that I can be empowered by my life. Once I recognize that, for me, when I've come to terms over the past year, especially with that mm-hmm. word, and like, what does that mean to me? And what am I doing about it? Um, I've heard some different definitions, and, and I do accept that, yeah, I do have some because of the color of my skin, uh, some financial factors, some growing up with a mother and a father, stable home environment, etc. Absolutely. But what am I doing about it? At some point, it's what am I doing today? Mm-hmm. You know, who am I as a result? Some of the, a lot of that matters, but well, how am I empowering others? How am I loving others? It really comes down to some simple things like that that I'm trying to do every single day, make the world a better place. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we do have to be careful in saying that a race is more privileged than others. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, I met a kid. I had a conversation with a kid at Hastings, white kid two parents, you know, and then you listen to a story and that kid, his, his parents locked him in a dog cage. Mm. So who's the more pri- privileged of the two? Right. I mean, you know, you look at that and this kid was struggling, trying to make sense of it. I yeah. go to <clears throat> Oakland, California, and I talk to a kid that lives in a, a house as big as that hotel behind you and swimming pool and BMW car, and he's locked up in this facility. 
people would say he was privileged, but that kid had dad issues. That's all he wanted was his dad's attention. So privilege is, it's, it's like people hand it. But even in today's society, I, I mean, I agree with you that sometimes I think maybe one race may have an advantage into jobs, but my grandfather taught me that that's never to stop you. That's never to stop you. Um, maybe not this door, but there's another one that's open. And it's not easy, but I just don't know how to give up. That's what I told my daughter. Uh, that we, you know, my children we adopted I said you you picked because <laughs> we let them agree. like during the adoption process we gave them permission to say we adopt Alton, Kristen, Kelton, and Colin so that they got to say that to the judge and I said you you picked the wrong one because I don't know how to give up so oh man so I got one of those shivers again that <laughs> that's so sweet I mean I'm gonna yeah. use that word it just is you know yeah. you're talking to young people and and and. Girls, you know, young girls and, and having that statement, having them be able to express that and then you responding in that oh, way. Yeah. You know, wow, that's incredible, incredible. I don't know how to give up in that context. Because the reason I'm saying it, because I heard you say that at the, the writer's conference as well. You know, this I know that came out in your language. Yeah. I don't remember the context, but in terms of your daughters, I thought, oh, man, because I'm a daddy too. And I've got two, uh, two daughters, two teenage daughters, one that just graduated high school, and off to UCO in the fall, and then the other who will be um, a junior next year. So, you know, it's hey, it's a good life. It's a good life. They they know they're loved. You know what I mean? They know they belong. That's it. Yeah, that's all there is. You know, by an imperfect father who is still putting the pieces together. Well, over here too, right? Yeah. <laughs> right here. <laughs> and, and you know, we, we talk about that. I think that's the greatest example of healing. Mm -hmm. It didn't me telling my kids how to heal. Mm -hmm. But it's letting them see me put the pieces back together when the you know when the wheels fall off the wagon and my goodness they've had plenty of <laughs> <laughs> examples of that and you know I, I don't know if I told you my my boss told me one day that I told him I was tired of my church thinking that I was perfect I don't know if I told you that story yeah. on the uh -huh. phone but this idea that we walk around every day thinking that people look at us and they. Honestly, we think that they don't think we have any problems. Mm -hmm. And then the hard part comes with the minute you you find out that they know you have problems, and then you have to wrestle with they love you anyway. Oh, yeah. That right. was one of the hardest things for me. I'm like, wait a minute. Everybody else I felt like had thrown me away, mm -hmm. and you are going to allow me to be a youth director knowing that I'm flawed? And that's, that's one of those things that this weakness and this brokenness, that's the one thing that connects us all. Um, we all know what heartache and pain feels like, and hopefully if we don't know what real love feels like, we get to experience it from somebody who's been broken. So, Absolutely. you know, And that's a vulnerable space. Once people find out who we really are and they see us fail. I failed a lot in this role as a coach you know, and, and as a business owner of trying to be. You know, more of a creative, more of an artist, much more mm -hmm. of a poet, and a philosopher type. But, you know, I need, I need some work, too. I need to make a little bit of money. And so I thought, well, coaching is a pretty good fit for somebody like me. And it is. But, you know, I don't know how to run a business. I'm still learning as I go. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a business coach. So if you're reaching out to me for that, I'm going to send you somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't have any tips for you. I can tell you how I'm doing it. And, and most people are like, hmm. I'm like, well, yeah, that's how I that's do it. it. That's That's what you get, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I've stayed true to my vision. You know, I'm a visionary. I have to stay true to what's real for me, and I have to latch onto that. 
And because I think that's my gift. You know, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And uh, hopefully it makes a little bit of money too. So that's a little side story. But, but it's vulnerable in that space. You know, when people find out and we're you know, public or in front of people or, you know, this podcast. And I'm telling people, hey, guess what? I fail. You know, I make mistakes. Uh, I have a suicide attempt in my past. You know, I, had to, I know how to talk about that now. But I make mistakes today. I still mm-hmm. do. And that's, that's our shared humanity. We all do. What makes us, what makes us kind of get weird, I think, or impenetrable, we think we're invulnerable, is, is when we're perfectionistic, when we think that we have it together, when we think that we have to look strong, when we think it's not okay to be weak. And actually, that's when we start to close down. That's mm-hmm. when we stop growing. So you're describing that space that I think is just wonderful, which is where it gets real. You know, that's where we find out how we're loved. We find out how we view ourselves in those vulnerable spaces. Yeah. I read this. I read this article, gosh, five, six, seven years ago, and they were doing research on why kids were leaving the church after they graduated from high school. So in Texas, they interviewed all these kids, and the one thing the kids said was, "Well, they feel like everybody in church is fake." And they were like, "What do you mean?" And so yeah. this this information showed that, like, we don't understand why when preachers get up on stage, they pray in this voice that we've never heard before. Or the choir, you know, everybody talks differently. And for them, that was a struggle. And then a buddy of mine used this phrase, and I can't remember who it was, told me, but he said, the most important thing in life is to be sincere. Mm. Once you learn how to fake that, you've got it made. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't so, ready for that. Yeah, yeah go so ahead. he was like, we spend more time trying to convince people mm-hmm. that we're real when we're not, and that's when you become lost. And so... Uh, you know, just listening to him say that. And then he gave me this example of anybody ever go to church with your spouse? Like you get in the car and you go to church and you have one of those knockdown drag out arguments all the way to church. And then as soon as you step on the church parking lot, you're the happiest couple in the entire world. He said, that's what we've done is we've teach our kids how to be fake. And it's not that we need to air all our laundry out to people in church, but that would have been a perfect opportunity for the kids to see me on my knees praying that, man, I lost my temper on the way to church. But that's, we don't want people to know we're weak. And I don't know how you, how in the world could you ever fix yourself if you just cover it up? Uh, it's like my kids, when I have, I have them help me clean out my garage. And all they do is like it gets to where every two days my wife will tell you, you can't walk through the garage. So what we do is we take all the stuff and we scoot it over to the side. Well, there's a path for me, way to me to get out, but all that junk is still piled up. And I realized I spent a whole bunch of my time in life living just that way. Hmm. It's not in my path. I see it, but it's okay. And it's not because, oh, wait, I got to get in the refrigerator now and I got to move all this stuff out of the way and... Anyway, so that's that's kind of some of the things that I've learned through this sort of uh, idea of dealing with the things that make us uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, and that's where that's where the treasure is. That's where the gold is. That's where the transformation is at. It's really learning how to be comfortable with discomfort, which that's how I phrase it. You know, as a person in long-term recovery from alcoholism, this is uh, 15 years going on, mm-hmm. uh, just past 15 years. And, and in one way, it's one day at a time, but in another way, it's a different kind of life. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not who I was. I'm, I'm partly that person. I've kept what I, I think is me. And some you don't get to choose. It just comes along for the ride anyway, you know. 
but uh, but I'm more whole today, even in those broken parts. They mm -hmm. still belong, you know. So as I'm thinking about the analogy, which is wonderful, the garage, you know, <laughs> moving stuff out of the way, creating a path to where you think you want to go, but you're like, well, now I also need to go over there, so i got to clear that path. You know, and it's really, there's always something, there's always an opportunity for growth. There's always an opportunity to be consciously aware mm -hmm. of what's in our path, you know, and decide what to do about it, which is unique about human beings, you know. Uh, the poet David White says something to the effect, um, human beings may be the only creature on the planet that can decide it doesn't want to be what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right? Bingo. It's true, yeah. right? You know, so that's what I'm hearing you describe. We play all, all these mercy. games, but it just comes with the package. As I tell people, that just comes with the package. You can call it ego. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But it's a game, you know, and sooner you can come out of that game and be more conscious, your life's going to get better. So I got a question for you. Yeah. What is it, like in that example in the garage, Yeah. what is it that, like, makes a person look over there like you've scooted everything over on the side? What is it that makes you just not even touch it? I mean, you see it, but what makes you just keep going and not want to put it up in its place? I, so, I mean, honestly, I want to know what is it that makes us do that? What do you think? Well, you know, it's a variety of reasons, honestly, because I've worked with enough people at an individual level over time. Mm -hmm. You know, from my experience, it can be a lot of things. Very often, it's fear. It's a lot of different kinds of fear. Uh, or just, you know, um, unconsciousness, just being unaware. So it depends on what it literally is, you mm -hmm. know. Um, sometimes it's just not being mindfully aware, just not, you know, oh, that's been there the whole time. I didn't even know because we're so caught up in other parts of our lives. We're so wrapped up. We're not really in the moment. Mm -hmm. We're just these patterns that we keep doing, you know, so we're on autopilot. But another thing is fear, you know, it's, mm. so if it's something that has a lot of energy behind it, like, oh, there's a story there. I don't want to, I don't want to put that yeah. up on the shelf. So it looks at me, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to keep it over there and that way. I can deny it. I can put it in the dark and it doesn't exist, which, hey, it's still there, you know? Yeah. So what do you think? What, uh, no, what? that's, I was just wondering what, yeah. it, what it is that makes us just, and, and it's not, well, fear. Somebody mm -hmm. told me the definition. Have you heard that definition between faith and fear? Uh, I may have. T so tell me fear this one. Yeah. is believing in something that you cannot see. Yeah. Faith is believing in something that you cannot see. So he's talking about how we just get them mixed up. Oh, yeah. Like, so mm. if I have faith that I can deal with this problem, mm -hmm. it's the same thing. But we sometimes we're stuck in auto fear mode. That yeah. That's our first emotion is, mm -hmm. oh, this is going to be damaging. And you don't, well, here, here's an example that I have a friend of mine who he is stuck in survival mode. Mm -hmm. Like, you know how when something mm -hmm. happens or stressful, you, you go back to that self-preservation survival mode? Oh, yeah. Except what happens when your survival mode is what's killing you in the first place? Yeah. Like the way you act, mm -hmm. um, the way you respond to things. Mm -hmm. And so watching that, like, I don't even know how you have a conversation with like, hey, man, you got an anger problem. No, I don't. But it makes me mad when you tell me that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it, no clue. Yeah. And I say that meaning like I'm looking at myself trying to figure out mm -hmm. what part of me is doing that. Um, and Sometimes that's scary to look at yourself and go, 
maybe I possess that characteristic and I'm not aware of aware of it. So right, teachers are everywhere, aren't they? You oh, know, everyone man. can teach us, and I'm I'm the same way. I I look at people's messengers or teachers or instructors, influencers. They may not know that I'm thinking that at all. You know, everybody that I come into contact with that I'm conscious consciously aware of mm-hmm. in this way. Uh, that's the dynamic. I'm like, what am I learning? What am I learning? You know, oh, what, yeah. am I, what am I sending out? What am I learning? Mm-hmm. What did they just tell me? My clients tell me things about myself all the time, my coaching clients. They don't know it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I get to learn and grow all the time and, and kind of get paid a little bit of money to do it, you know, which is nice. So, yeah, I do relate. Uh, and people are wired so differently. You know, that's what I've learned. I'm like, man, if I could find the master key, you know, to where, like, what's oh, going yeah. on? But so many times I just don't know, you know, just not knowing. That's one of the things I don't like, not knowing. Oh. Because I love knowledge. I love wisdom. And, you know, especially yeah. since I got sober and started to like, let go of some mm. pain and anger. You know, knowing is like, man, that's mm. satisfying, you know. Not knowing is dissatisfying. You know? Oh, I know. So, <laughs> right? You know. <laughs> you, you, you know what you, like, what I'm missing. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the the... This may sound completely bizarre, but knowing what you're missing mm-hmm. often causes you to replace that with something that you shouldn't have in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like not having a dad. Well, my whole family, my siblings are alcoholics, and I'm not saying that's what it is, but mm-hmm. I had to come to grips with I will never have a father. Like I'll never have a dad in my life, you know, a biological father. I'm, and... So accepting that that's never going to happen was like one of the greatest things that I could ever, I could ever do instead of trying to cover it up, you know, yeah. like that ugly couch, you put a blanket over it. <laughs> now everybody asks you what's under that ugly blanket. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, nothing. You know? <laughs> or I don't so, know. Yeah. yeah no, so. exactly. Right. Exactly. You know, and, and, and when we try to cover things up or, it's just a game. Like yeah. I like to tell people, you know, you can call it what you rationalization, justification, spiritualization, philosophy, all of that, whatever we do mm-hmm. to it. And we're brilliant at it. It's we I mean, human beings are so creative at not being themselves and not coming to terms with reality as it is in their life. It's amazing. It's it's what an imagination we have, you know. And some of that helps us cope for a while until we forget we started playing the game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then the game catches up to us. And then it gets hard. You know, if so those that are experiencing pain in your life, there's a lesson there, you know. Uh, what are the things in your garage, our listeners out there, that uh, your metaphorical garage, maybe a real garage, but, you know, the one that's in your mind, the one that's in your heart. Maybe you need to clear some pathways mm-hmm. and maybe you need some help doing that. I'm not saying this with me. Uh, or, you know, maybe it's within yourself or in your faith, but there's purpose there just waiting, you know, uh, underneath those challenges. So, Alton, I did want to shift gears a little bit because we got a few more minutes, okay. and you and I could easily talk all day. Oh, so yeah, this, this is the first of many conversations. I'm going to come up and see you sometime for sure okay. if you'll have me out. So uh, you are a person who, who loves words, who loves the written word and the spoken word. In our, in our last few minutes, I'd just like to shift gears and talk a little bit more about what, where did writing come from for you, uh, and what does it mean to you? Um, writing is, so you talk about purpose, that's another, that's, that's who I am. Mm-hmm. It is a gift. Um, I feel like God gave me to reach people. Uh, so as much as writing helps me, man, I'll write, sometimes write 
bizarre poems, when I say bizarre, about like being in an airport, seeing people miserable, um, or feeling like you've lost sight of things and something happened to change your perspective. So I love sharing those things because they connect with people that they just don't know how to, they feel like they don't know how to say it. And all of a sudden they get this written word or they hear a poem that I, I wrote and it's, that's it. That's, that's what I was talking about, Alton. So that, that's what I hope my poems do. Um, but it also allows me, it's like a measuring stick so I can look back 10 years, like I wrote a poem 10 years ago, man, I can look back and see how things have, it's like a timeline. I can look back to see how miserable or hopeful or hopeless I was. And, you know, a buddy of mine said, what's true about you today does not have to be true about you tomorrow. And so poetry allows me to see that I'm not the same person I was yesterday. So, yeah, you know, what's coming to my mind is it's like a form of journaling in a way. Uh, as a poet, as a fellow poet, I write mm-hmm. mostly for myself right now. But uh, but as I look for an audience, you know, this is developing in my life right now as you and I are talking and getting more out there. Most of the content or the written word or the spoken word that I do is, is through this right now, you know, and I can talk poetically, which I often do, but actually having poems together, which I have many of them, mm-hmm. but I'm in a different place now. So that really sparked me uh, with what you shared there. They're, they're kind of a time capsule. In some pieces of my older poems, I'm like, yeah, I can still see who I am mm-hmm. today there. But some of them, like, no, that's no. Things have really changed. That was a time capsule. That one was, you know, which is good to be able to have. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, you mentioned poetry, and of course, you you write in other forms and other genres as well. Um, in your, how many books do you have altogether that are out currently? So five, five books. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and those are all based around kind of my childhood experiences. So um, the the young adult books obviously are, you know, true stories and accounts of my past. But my children's books were inspired by a fourth grade teacher who just meant the world to me. And so, uh, in fact, there was a poem that uh, started the, the children's book about my fourth grade teacher, Miss Thompson, um, just teaching me to believe in myself and so you know we've heard this you know words like words really don't mean anything unless you put you know actions behind them and so I had a fourth grade teacher that I could just tell she when she looked at me she didn't see me like everyone else and so like one of my favorite poems was written to my fourth grade teacher Miss Thompson and um, so it, it just man I don't know I just it's in me it's baked into the cake. It's the way I think, uh, the way I breathe, and it's just words are going all the time. So Yeah, absolutely. You know, and a lot of our listeners are creatives and writers and artists, and I've had some artists on the show and, and other writers, uh, authors, et cetera. Um, what is it that, that keeps you creating? Let me ask it this way. What, what is it that keeps you creating even when you don't want to, at those times where it seems to come to a standstill, what keeps you going? Uh, so my first book is The Boy Who Carried Bricks, and that's 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 it. The fact that uh, when I stop creating, I stop transforming those horrible things that are weighing me down. Mm-hmm. And so that creative writing or poetry or drawing or painting or whatever, man, it allows me to 
transform those things. So that that's always in the back of my mind um, that this is who I am. I got to take this stuff and reshape it. You know, when some people were hurting, and don't get me wrong, I never really cared much about carrying bricks when I was a kid at the boys' ranch. But because of through my writing and and reflections, here's what I figured out. Like imagine, like I wouldn't have been in a position to talk to 1.6 million kids across the country had my ranch dad not made me carry bricks. And so that being able to tell my story, the title The Boy Who Carried Bricks, came from a horrible experience that was not removed, but reshaped in a way that was healthy for me. So, but just fear of being stuck. Uh, I just, man, that makes me keep going because I'm tired of carrying, I'm tired of it. I want to get rid of as much of this as possible. Right, and just keep <laughs> shedding bricks or however oh, the metaphor may change over time. Right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, keep growing. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, for our listeners, be sure to check the show notes because there's going to be some links where you can find Alton's works and you can connect with him. And on that note, on, on um, outreach or, or work that you're involved with, I know you, you mentioned uh, your new role. At the time of this interview, you're going to start a new job or a new role. And where was that again? That's uh, Meridian Tech Meridian in Stillwater. In Stillwater. Okay, and so what will you be doing there if you'd uh, like to share that? Yeah, a career development specialist. So just going into schools, helping kids kind of find, um, man, their, their passion, help them get plugged in. And what I found is, you know, by the time kids get in high school, they kind of know, they have an idea of what they might want to do, but they're afraid they're not good enough. So that's mm -hmm. the piece I hope to provide. Um, let their hearts take them where they want to. I just want to be that cheerleader in the back that, you know, reminds them they can do whatever they want to do. So That's uh, powerful, you know. So if there are individuals that want to enroll in that course, I'm sure they could find it online. Oh, or, yeah. Okay. So, so, hey, if I can find the link, I'll drop that down too. Okay. Otherwise, Google search for it, and you can, and you can connect and get your, yourself or your student in that class. Um, and then as far as um, speaking engagements, or I don't want to put words in your mouth, but other other endeavors that you're that you're doing or would like to be doing in the near future what what have you got going or, or what else would you be up to you know I'm it's a little bit of everything yeah. I kind of I've decided that like I'm not gonna paint myself in a box mm -hmm. I don't know if I told you but I've, I've got this theory that Jesus didn't tell the disciples what they were doing in advance because Peter probably would have tried to talk him out of it <laughs> so I just yeah. try to just you know if it feels right and you know that it's going to make a difference, a positive uh, difference in people's life and not self-destruct. That's what God wants me to do. Mm -hmm. And there's no harm. And even if I try and fail, I mean, there's a lesson that, you know, I, I tried and I'd like to think that I could reach one person even in my failure. So, Yes, absolutely. So. And so for those folks that may want to get in touch with you, I know you have a lot of people that reach out to you. Uh, along these lines that you've just mentioned, there may be some people thinking, oh, I've got an idea. Yeah. Is that all right if they reach out to you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so how can folks get in touch with you? What's so the best way? Probably the best way is altoncarter.net. You can send an email through that. And uh, so uh, kind of goes through my agent and publisher, so they'll kind of send it to me. But um, that's probably the best way. Okay. Well, so that's in the show notes at the time yeah. of this episode. You can find that there. Drop down there and go contact him, especially right. if you got a burning desire. Uh, I've got some movers and shakers that listen to this show and, and may have some ideas or for some change and some good work in the community. 
So, Alton Carter, before we before we leave on this episode, is are there any parting words, any message of hope or um, inspiration? Because I see this word on on your shirt across from me, uh, inspire. So, yeah, any any uh, parting words? Um, I had a kid ask me one time, what word would I use to describe myself? And I, I may have shared this with you, but it's unfinished. Hmm. And so my my theme, and I'm getting ready to do a logo. Uh, for shirts, for people who just feel like that's where they're at. But it's titled, Unfinished, Turning Nothing into Something. Mm-hmm. And so, man, it's just we're all, we're all in progress. And, and that's, that's what I want, people to feel like they're somebody. And sometimes it needs us to help. So we don't need to care if we're first or last. We just need to get in line and do our part uh, for this world. So, And people, regardless of where they're at in life. We just need to follow our hearts. How's that? I think that's wonderful. It's a great place to leave it. Alton Carter, thank you for being my guest on the show today. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's awesome. You've been listening to the Live Your Purpose podcast. I hope you've been inspired by my conversation with today's guest. If you like what you hear, please share with your social networks and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. To learn more about the life coaching, public speaking, and retreat services that I offer, visit fullintegrationcoaching.com. And you can follow along with me on Facebook and Instagram at Full Integration Coaching. Until next time, remember, you were meant to live on purpose. Start living yours today.